WNYV, Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, November 27th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Governor Kathy Hochul is trying to crack down on skyrocketing online hate speech since violence in Israel and the Gaza Strip began last month. Many people are wrestling with the fear for the first time ever sometime in their lives of being the victim of a hate crime. I wish I could tell you these concerns were misplaced. But tragically, the data all across America is showing that hate crimes have surged in the last six weeks. This also comes as three Palestinians were shot in Burlington over the weekend. In the Southern Adirondacks, there are a number of free rooms, often at local transfer stations, where folks can give and take gently used items without changing any money, changing hands. We'll pay a visit coming up. At first, more people donating than taking, but people are really starting to shop. A young woman came and was getting her first apartment and took quite a bit of of stuff that she could use to get started. That was exciting. And we'll meet the Juno Award-winning blues artist performing at the Rainbow Bistro in Ottawa this weekend. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake, open for last-minute holiday shopping on December 16th from 10 to 4, online anytime at the adkx.org. And by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all-natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups, apothecarychocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Three young Palestinian men were shot and injured in Burlington Saturday night. Police Chief John Morad says a white man with a handgun approached three 20-year-olds as they were walking and discharged at least four rounds before fleeing. One of the men suffered serious injuries. The other two are in stable condition. Morad says the attack may have been a hate crime. Tensions have escalated in the U.S. as the death toll rises in the Israel-Hamas war. A fragile ceasefire was back on track yesterday as the militants freed more hostages and Israel released 39 Palestinian prisoners. The White House and the FBI have been briefed on the Burlington shootings as the investigation continues. And at the state level, New York Governor Kathy Hochul is allocating $3 million to combat the rising online anti Semitic and anti-Islamic hate speech. Karen DeWitt reports she's also calling on social media companies to step up monitoring. The funds, which will be overseen by the state's Division of Homeland Security and distributed to all colleges and universities in New York, are the latest in a series of actions that the governor has taken to counteract what she says is an over 400 percent increase in online hate speech against Jewish and Muslim communities. Across our state, New Yorkers are afraid. If they have family or friends in Israel, in Gaza, other places... They're afraid for their safety Uh, at home. Many people are wrestling with the fear for the first time ever sometime in their lives of being the victim of a hate crime. I wish I could tell you these concerns were misplaced. But tragically, the data all across America is showing that hate crimes 
have surged in the last six weeks. Hochul says Homeland Security is also developing a media literacy toolkit for the state's primary and secondary schools so that children can be taught to spot disinformation online. She says they'll also be working with education leaders to develop an age-appropriate curriculum and to encourage critical thinking about what children might encounter online. She says an informational guide will be available to help parents talk to their children about online hate speech. In addition, the governor's writing letters to the leaders of the major social media companies, TikTok, Google, X, Facebook, and Instagram, calling on them to step up their monitoring of content that could incite violence. She says she was appalled by the recent posts on TikTok that featured a manifesto from the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, the late Osama bin Laden. They say they're monitoring for hate speech. And we would say, I have instances where you are not being successful. So ramp up the number of people who are in charge of monitoring if that's a failure. Because if my state police can find it, if a college student can find it, then clearly the people you have hired by your company should be able to identify it and take it down immediately. Hochul says the social media companies pledged earlier to step up monitoring of hate speech, but she says their efforts are falling far short. The governor admits she has little control over the companies, but she says she's considering trying to pressure major companies not to advertise on social media sites that don't take steps to fight hate speech. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. A federal jury in Albany recently awarded millions to the mother of a Clinton County a Clinton correctional facility inmate who died after a confrontation with correction officers in 2016. According to the Albany Times Union, Tracy Yvonne Cooper filed a lawsuit against three COs at the Danamora prison. It alleged that they used excessive force and failed to intervene to help her son, Terry Cooper. The suit said that violated his civil rights under the Eighth Amendment, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. Terry Cooper was 25 years old and serving a 12-year sentence at the time. The Times Union reports that the jury awarded his mother $9.25 million earlier this month. The State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision told the paper that it's reviewing the verdict and considering the legal options. The hospital in Malone will now receive a higher reimbursement rate from the federal government. Kara Chapman has more. Alice Hyde Medical Center announced last week that it is now a critical access hospital. That means it'll get millions more in reimbursement money each year for services provided to patients on federal programs like Medicare. The status change follows a months-long review and approval process that started this past spring. At the time, Alice Hyde had too many beds to qualify for critical access status. It had to decertify 45 beds, which hospital leaders said hadn't been used in years. That brought it down to the required 25-bed maximum. Hospital President Michelle Lebeau said in a statement that the change won't reduce the services the hospital provides. She said it also won't change the way patients receive care. The North Country has several other critical access hospitals, and there's another one in the works. 
Carthage Area Hospital and Claxton Hepburn Medical Center announced a two-part plan in June. If approved, it would create a 25-bed critical access hospital and a 40-bed behavioral health hospital. Both would be located at Claxton Hepburn's current location in Ogdensburg. A spokesperson for the two hospitals says they anticipate a decision from regulators in early 2024. Hospital leaders will provide an update at Claxton Hepburn's Festival of Trees on December 2nd. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio. A North Country Assemblyman wants to help repurpose vacant SUNY buildings. According to WWNY-TV, Scott Gray of Watertown recently introduced a bill that would create a list of empty buildings across the state's university system. It would also establish a study to find ways to repurpose them for things like daycare and housing. Gray told WWNY that demolition of those buildings should be a last resort. He says finding other uses would help the colleges save money. A SUNY spokesperson told WWNY the system is reviewing the bill. And St. Lawrence County is renovating the building that houses 911 dispatchers, state police, the sheriff's office, and more. Catherine Wheeler reports construction will start next year. St. Lawrence County's public safety complex sits across the street from the county courthouse. It was built in the 1990s to house the sheriff and county economic development offices along with the 911 center. St. Lawrence County Administrator Ruth Doyle says now it's a lot more crowded. This building became um, central for New York State Police. We also have our sheriff's office remains. Our civil office uh, is located in the building as well as our dispatch center. We also have two other county departments, our conflict defender and our planning office share space there. Doyle says the space needs construction and technology upgrades so they can better serve the community. When that building was constructed, the dispatcher sat with one monitor in front of them and a phone. Now, I believe there are five monitors in front of them, along with phones and radios. And so, you know, the the concern, the challenge became, how do we better equip our dispatchers so that they can help responders? In a county as large as ours, they often are the first responders. So now the county is planning to reshuffle the space. The district attorney's office will be moving out of the courthouse and into the public safety complex across the street so they can be closer to law enforcement. Departments will be moved around the building, so each office neighbors another that they work with a lot. County lawmakers set aside $5 million from the American Rescue Plan for county projects. Doyle says some or all of that will fund the renovation. The county will pay for the rest. We are not looking to go to the taxpayers in 2024 to complete a project that should exceed $5 million. Doyle says some state grants will pay for new technology and equipment. She says most of the construction will take place next year, but continued supply chain and workforce issues could hold it up. Katherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's 810. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll talk with the 2023 Juno award-winning blues artist based in Ottawa, who's performing at the Rainbow Bistro this weekend. Conversation and music with Angelique Francis coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light.
broadcast of Northern Light is supported by the Village Mercantile in Saranac Lake, established in 2011 with the mission of community-fueled solutions with products for home, camp, and gift-giving. VillageMerc.com, anything but general. Music by South Glens Falls is Alan Dunham. Thrift is a big part of life for many North Country folks. Many communities don't have stores where you can buy new, and it can be cheaper and more convenient to look for secondhand things. So there are lots of free piles outside houses, garage sales, and thrift stores. And in the southern Adirondacks, there are a number of, quote, free rooms, often at local transfer stations, where local residents can give and take gently used items without any money changing hands. Amy Fires reports on the free room phenomenon. In the grand tradition of Adirondack dumps, the setting for the town of Johnsburg transfer station is stunning. We have a beautiful view of Gore. That's 69-year-old Peter Horvath. You could ski from Gore down here if you wanted to. Sort of roundabout way to, to come to drop off your things. But <laughs> <laughs> this is where he and other North Creek and North River residents take their trash and recyclables. It's also the home of a new free room. Well, here it's a shed where people can drop off things they don't want and pick up things they do. Horvath and another local, Judy Brown, are the masterminds behind it. They're both in a group called Zero Waste Warren County. And one of our missions is to try to reduce the amount that goes into landfills. Horvath opens the shed, which is a basic Amish rectangle. Inside are packed shelves. It's so cozy in here. I would totally shop, but I'm not going to shop. There are clothes, toys, kitchenware, even skis. And it's well organized. That's thanks to volunteers like Anita Abrams, who staff the shed five days a week. She says it's been busy since they opened in early October. They had opened. You know, we had a line of people to donate. At first, more people donating than taking, but people are really starting to shop. A young woman came and was getting her first apartment and took quite a bit of, of stuff that she could use to get started. That was exciting. Abrams says it's already had an impact on the local community. I run our food pantry locally, and I know that people have really appreciated being able to get free, useful things that they can use in their households. Horvath says the town board was really supportive of the reuse shed, and they've already got a roster of 20 volunteers. And also there's a sense of community. When people come, it's like, oh my gosh, I can help somebody. You can feel that when people bring things. Happily, say Horvath and Abrams, this isn't a unique idea. There are free rooms scattered around the southern Adirondacks, in Screen Lake, in Indian Lake. Newcomb's give and take room at the town dump has been around since 1995. So this is it. Robin Deloria is the town's supervisor in Newcomb. Okay, so it is empty, but I'll tell you, when this place gets full, it's full. I've seen this place where we couldn't walk through it. Deloria helped put up this building over 25 years ago when he was working for the highway department. This was a, a prefab building that we bought from Curtis Lumber. I first heard of this room referred to as the Newcomb Walmart. Deloria says it has lots of names. The Dump Mall, the Trade Center, the Swap Shop. It's open 24-7, and Deloria says every five to six weeks, they throw away what's left. By then, it doesn't belong in here because people, they know what's here. and They're not going to come anymore, so it goes, you know. 
I visited near the end of a cycle, but there were still lots on the shelves, much of it high quality. That set of lamps up there is absolutely gorgeous, you know? Oh, and, yeah, and, they and are. They need new shades, but nevertheless, you know, and, and it's stuff like that. I go buy those today. You're, you know, you're probably talking $80 for the pair. It pains Deloria to throw any of this out, but he's happy to divert a lot of it back into the community. He says the whole town visits. I mean, just about everybody I know comes here and checks somehow, you know. Down here, towns are spread out and small. Many of them don't have stores, and year-round residents are often piecing together work and on a tight budget. Free rooms have become an important community resource. There is something for everybody here. Carol Monroe meets me at the town of Chester Free Room in the wake of a hailstorm. Everything you can imagine that someone doesn't need anymore or want is like found gems to others. There we go. We enter into. Oh, wow, it's beautiful. I know, I know. It's called the Chester Mall. It's big, heated, and resembles a curated thrift store. The clothing is neatly sorted, even down to children's clothes. This is the very infant department. Monroe's late husband, Fred, served as town supervisor here for 24 years. Carol spearheaded the efforts to establish recycling and this free room at the transfer station. This is kind of my baby, and I'm very proud of it. The town pays for a full-time employee to manage the Chester Mall. Her name is Deb. She's shy and didn't want to be interviewed. Monroe waves me over to a corner with a music case propped up. The other day I came in here and it was stuck together from age. So I helped Debbie open it. It's amazing. I mean, it's all brass. It's a trombone. And I said, Deb, someone special is going to come in and want that. Monroe sees everything in the Chester Mall as a possibility. She says she learned thriftiness from her parents growing up in Long Island. Uh, You know, you just have to use your mind and be a little crafty, but you can take anything and make it uh, a treasure. So I grew up with this, and I just think there is such a need in communities for people to know they can go somewhere without hesitation and get what they need if it's there. Keeping that resource alive is how North Country communities take care of one another, says Monroe. Amy Fireisel, North Country Public Radio, in North Creek, Newcomb, and Chestertown. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, music and conversation with blues musician Angelique Francis. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. 
First, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Clouds here in Canton. There were rain showers on my drive-in this morning, so we've got a mix of some rain, some light snow in some of the higher elevations, a wintry mix along eastern Lake Ontario, sunshine in Glens Falls, Lake George today. Uh, wind gusts, though, out of the southwest, up to 40 miles per hour at times. It's going to be windy tonight as well, with maybe uh, some light snow showers overnight. Temps falling into the 20s. Tomorrow, Partly cloudy, occasional snow showers along eastern Lake Ontario Tuesday with highs in the low 30s. It's 38 degrees right now in Canton. The Ottawa-based musician performing at one of the city's premier blues venues this weekend, the Rainbow Bistro, is sort of a Jane of all instruments. Angelique Francis is a Juno award-winning singer, songwriter, band leader, and plays the double bass, upright bass, and blues harmonica. She thinks of herself as genre-blending, performing in blues and folk venues and festivals throughout Ontario, Quebec, and Europe. And she says her closeness to her family moves her music. I caught up with her earlier this summer. Hit me! Angelique Francis. I am a Juno Award-winning composer, singer-songwriter, multi-genre, multi-instrumentalist, and band leader of the international touring band, the Angelique Francis Band. Music is inextricable from who Francis is. Born and raised in Ottawa, Francis grew up singing and jamming with her sisters and her dad after dinner every night. Her father even had a home studio. And I have such wonderful memories being in that studio from a very young age, just making songs about whatever I could think about. At five years old, I wrote one of my first songs about loving to drink chocolate milk when the sun came up in the morning and being so delighted that I had access to the resources to not only create, but also being able to share those creations and listen back to those creations and hear myself in that way, but also be able to learn from it through, you know, constructive criticism and the like. That's the most adorable sounding song I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) do, Do you still remember it? I do, yeah. It goes, the chorus goes a little something like, chakalala when the sun comes up. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was fun to write as a five year old. Join along with me now and don't be shy. Clap your hands, clap your hands, clap your hands now. Stomp your feet, stomp your feet, stomp your feet now. Her family is still making music together. Almost her entire band is made up of her family members. Her dad on drums and songwriting and her younger sisters on trombone, melodica, and alto, baritone, and tenor saxophone and backup vocals. We have similar ranges with our voices. And when I create a song and have them put their own spin on it vocally or with horn sections, they can be there for the whole song's inception, creation, elaboration. My sisters contribute to many different aspects of what we do as musicians. Corinthia and Kira are very, very good at putting together horn lines for our songs. 
And so when I present a song to them, we work through different vocal harmonies and then also horn lines as well. Um, I'll write the lines, they'll work on the arrangement, they'll contribute to the way that we move and flow on stage from the dance moves to the interjections. And they can help me take a song that may just come um, as a an idea to something that's more of a conversation on stage between ourselves and with the audience as well. on a long line of blues, jazz, and R&B musicians, from James Brown to upright bassist Willie Dixon and jazz-age singer Bessie Smith. A big influence on her is the mid-century blues and R&B singer Big Mama Thornton of Alabama. does is so incredible, so soulful, so passionate, um, and she was so wonderful in the way that she presented herself when it came to stage presence, her powerful voice, and also her harmonica playing. It wasn't often that you saw a female uh, harmonica player who just carried off every aspect of what she did so well. So I I really take um, influence from from Big Mama, and I just love the way that she delivered her songs, delivered her lines, and I definitely take some influence from her sass. that I have the ability to showcase to people that the blues is everywhere, that many of the genres that they love, they may not realize those connections to the blues, but it helps teach them about the many different forms of blues that exist. There's there's so, so many different types, and there's so many different uh, genres that it helps to influence. I hope that my place within this blues tradition is to help continue it in showcasing to people that there are connections that lie elsewhere that could help inspire people to create their own forms of blues and be curious about traditions that have come before.
Angelique Francis is performing at one of the Ottawa's main blues venues Saturday night. Doors open at the Rainbow Bistro at 8 o'clock Saturday. You can find out more at rainbow.ca. I nominate that last song as a must-air on Monday mornings, Monica. Every Monday morning without fail. Every Monday (laughs) morning we need that song, one, two, three, four. Love it. Totally love it. I loved seeing you wave your hands in the air like (laughs) you just don't care. I was was swinging in my chair (laughs) here. Love it. Thanks for bringing us that story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that music does cue that it is the end of the show for the day. Morning Edition continues in just a minute. And after that, it's the Marketplace Morning Report between 8.51 and 9 o'clock, where we'll get caught up on all the morning's business news. Then a story that I want to make sure that we keep in mind is this afternoon on Here and Now. Now, between one and three, people with disabilities who have some money saved up often find themselves penalized in terms of how much supplemental security income they can receive. So they'll be taking a look at the argument for updating those rules. Plus, they'll be getting giving the latest on the prisoner and hostage exchanges between Israel and Hamas. That's on Here and Now between one and three later this afternoon. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.